Good morning. This is April the 19th. This is our fourth Sunday of me recording my sermon and posting it online rather than us being in church together. That has been a full month now since we've been able to join together in worship and in fellowship at church. And so that's been weighing on my mind. This week has also been a challenge just in listening to some of the news broadcasts. Our premier has announced an additional 28 days of these emergency measures, and that's just a, the minimum at this point. We don't know what's going to happen after that point. But we do know that we have another month ahead of us where we will not be going to church and being able to visit one another. And so these are difficult times, troubling times. And there's some things that I've been reading and thinking um, I had started to prepare something to say myself about it, but I found an article that kind of said what I wanted to say. So I'm going to read that article. Um, it's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me, and I think it's worth listening to. It gives us some encouragement and some reminders that are helpful. And here it is. It says, if you've been paying even the slightest bit of attention over the last month, you know that everything is changing. The COVID-19 crisis is one none of us could avoid if we tried. Schools are canceled, restaurants and businesses are closed or operating very differently. And most of America is learning to work from home amidst a crisis. Then there are the essential workers and first responders going to work every day in an environment that feels surreal, surrounded by masks, protective gear, and social distancing. The temptation to curl up under some blankets and zone out to Netflix feels all too real. Sometimes it might even be helpful. At some point, though, we all have to learn how to function amidst the crisis. We need a way to stay sane. For those of us who follow Jesus, the call is even a bit higher. The call to love and serve our neighbors remains amidst chaos and crisis. Jesus spent a good deal of his ministry reminding us of the importance of service, and he didn't include any caveats. In fact, the call to serve during a crisis carries even more weight. So we have to get creative. How do we serve and stay sane when the world is falling apart? To some degree, supporting local businesses is easy. Ordering takeout from your local restaurants isn't all that much of a sacrifice, but can you take it a step further? Definitely order takeout, but also take a look at your budget, and if you can afford to, keep paying those memberships and subscriptions you might not be able to use during this time. We recently considered putting a hold on our YMCA membership. After all, we aren't headed to the gym to work out anytime soon. After searching their website, we discovered that our YMCA dues were being used to consider, continue paying staff for a few extra weeks to provide low-cost childcare for essential employees. Our membership fees are in our budget already. Sure, we could use the extra each month for something else, but we are incredibly fortunate to continue receiving incomes during this time, and we can afford to pay it forward. Get creative 
and continue to support the businesses around you. We took our dog to get groomed two weeks ago. Again, it's a part of our budget, and a friend owns the shop and needs the business. Buy gift cards to your favorite local coffee shops and entertainment spots, and mail them to a friend or family member with a promise for a post-quarantine outing. Continue to give generously. The world feels a bit shaky, and it's certainly tempting to cut any unnecessary spending right now. For some, with furlough and layoffs, it might be a necessity. If you're fortunate enough to still have an income during this time, continue to give generously to nonprofits and your church. Churches will inevitably suffer a great loss of funds each week with the shift to virtual services. During this time, we want local ministries and churches to be well equipped to serve and minister in our community. Let's keep them funded to provide the help our communities need. Check in on your community. Quarantine and social distancing create isolation and can exasperate already existing symptoms of depression and anxiety. Stat News reports on a study done in the SARS epidemic saying even three years later, quarantine was associated with post-traumatic stress symptoms, which were again more severe in healthcare workers. Whether it's a drive-by greeting to the grandparents, a chat with neighbors across the street, or FaceTime with your friends, everyone needs a sense of a connection during this time. Get creative. Mail a handwritten letter. Schedule weekly Zoom happy hours. Do whatever it takes to check in on those you love. Celebrate those around you. There are people in your circle who had big plans this spring and summer. Whether it's a neighbor whose graduation plans are uncertain, the friend whose wedding got postponed, or the cousin whose baby showers were cancelled, people are experiencing a loss, more now than ever. They need space to grieve expectations, and they need to be celebrated. Send the wedding gift. Send something from Amazon off the baby registry. Mail a check for the college grad. Acknowledge that you see them and you celebrate them. Think of creative ways to support your people. Set up a drop-and-go meal train. Host a virtual party. Write an IOU for a post-quarantine celebration. When we finally get out of this mess, show up for them. Make the most of your outings. When you finally do have a have to make the grocery run or grab toilet paper, offer to pick something up for those in your circle. Know a high-risk friend or family member? Ask for their list and pick it up while you're already shopping. Call the single parents in your life and do their shopping so they can keep their kiddos home. Planning to mow your lawn this week? Well, not likely for us, but it could happen. <laughs> offer to take care of the neighbors too. See a need? Meet a need. Water a neighbor's flowers. Offer to walk the neighbor's dog with yours. Making a dump trip? Take the friend's trash too. We have a unique opportunity to be good neighbors during this time. Be gentle. Everyone is coping with this crisis differently. While some of us are going nuts and trying not to overfunction, others are having a hard time getting out of bed. Let's be gentle with each other. Let's remember 
that there is no perfect way to, to survive a crisis. Let's practice generous assumptions about others and their motivations. We're all just walking through it together. Staying safe during this pandemic doesn't have to make us selfish. Let's be people who look for opportunities to serve. Let's be the helpers. I don't have the, the name of whoever wrote that article, but it really sums up what our attitude should be and the way we should look at how to deal with this and how to act towards others during this time. So I just hope that that's a encouragement to people. I hope that it um, maybe gives you some ideas of how you can continue to serve your friends and family and, and your community. This morning, I want to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 once again. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. So Matthew 5, verse 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now verse 17 here. Um, I'll just read it one more time. It says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And this is Jesus talking, and I would say that, in, in a sense, this is what I would call a mission statement by Jesus. This is stating his purpose in coming to earth, and this is what his, his mission here is all about. Now, anytime someone has an idea of starting a business, one of the first things that they need to do is to formulate a business plan. This plan is used as a tool to describe the, what the business is going to do and what need it's going to fill, who its clientele are going to be, and all these kinds of things. In the process of developing the plan, Sometimes right at the onset or sometimes through the process of developing the plan, there's often a short summary written that describes the purpose of that business. That's its reason to exist. And this is usually written down in the form of a mission statement. At Round Lake Bible Camp, our mission statement is posted in the dining hall of the camp, and it says, Round Lake Bible Camp exists to challenge people to commitment to Jesus Christ and to aid them in their quest for Christ-likeness. Everything we do at camp should then be done with that statement in mind and should work towards fulfilling that goal. If we start running programs and doing things that don't ultimately lead to that purpose, then we shouldn't be doing those things. That mission statement gives us a directive, 
She gives us a focus that guides all of our planning and decision-making in regards to what we will and won't do at the camp. We have a goal, an objective, and everything we do should work toward achieving that goal. Now Jesus makes this statement in verse 17 that defines his purpose. That is to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so we see that Jesus has a twofold mission. There's two parts to this. It's fulfilling the law and fulfilling the prophets. Now, having just celebrated Easter this past week, um, this is a, a good time to consider what Jesus' purpose is in his ministry and to look at how he accomplished that purpose, which is ultimately what makes it possible for him to become our Savior. The Bible describes Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. And that means that he was not just satisfactory as a sacrifice, but that he was more than sufficient. He completely fulfilled every requirement in every way. There was and is nothing left for us to accomplish. It is finished, as he said when he was on the cross. God could not ask for anything more than what Christ has done for us. The price is paid completely. Our debt is gone forever. So I just want to look at these two areas of fulfillment. Um, We're going to start, I'm going to do it backwards. We're going to start with the prophets and then we'll move to the law. Now, According to Josh McDowell, he's a fairly famous author and um, proponent of Jesus. And so he has done a lot of work um, just in in the area of apologetics, of arguing, um, defending the faith and Jesus' ministry and who he is. And so a couple of, I'm just going to quote a couple of things that he has said, um, written in some of his books. One of those things is that there is more than 300 prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled. Now, I personally looked at the book of Matthew, and just at the phrase um, of fulfilled, and I found at least 14 places where In Matthew, it says something to the effect of that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And sometimes it names a prophet and sometimes it doesn't. But it's describing whatever event is taking place within Jesus' ministry and his life and something that he has done and saying that that thing that he's done has fulfilled this prophecy that was spoken by one of the Old Testament prophets. Just as a side note on that, there's at least one spot, um, I didn't dig out the exact quote, but it's not that important, the specifics of it, but there was a spot where um, it says that it was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, but when we go to look up that reference, 
we find that it's actually written down in Zacharias. And so, this is often uh, pointed out by critics that there's an error in our Bible. And I say that this is not an error, but it's simply additional information that tells us where Zacharias was getting his information or some of the information that he was writing. He was quoting Jeremiah when he wrote these words. And at the time of Zechariah, the Jews that he was speaking to and writing this for would likely have known that Jeremiah had said these things, although it hadn't been recorded in the scripture prior to this time. And so this would serve both to reinforce Jeremiah's words, and then it further serves to give us a written record of these um, important information regarding what the Messiah was going to be and who he was going to be, what he was going to do. And so sometimes when these critics seem to think that there's a, a problem in Scripture, often it's not a problem. It's actually just giving more information than was originally there at other times. And so it, it completes the story rather than causing error. Now, in Matthew, these 14 different references to Old Testament prophecy aren't intended to be a complete summary of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills. They just serve as a sample to get us to start looking. These 14 prophecies are just the beginning. There's almost countless more examples, as Josh McDowell has said, there was over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. This is just to get us started, to start looking, to start reading the Old Testament and looking for Christ in there. And we will see him almost everywhere you look, if you're thinking that way. And so, Here's a, a list of just a handful of prophecies that Jesus fulfills, and this is, again, from Josh McDowell's book, and he says, he was born in Bethlehem. He was preceded by a messenger, which was John the Baptist. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He, betray, he was betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. He was silent before his accusers. He died in the manner that Romans used for criminals, and during which they pierced his hands and feet. A man named Peter Stoner, in his book Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any man fulfilling the prophecies even down to the present time. And that's this list of prophecies that we just listed. And the odds were one in 10 to the power of 17. It's a lot of zeros. Clearly, these can't be considered a coincidence. This number, although, isn't the end of his calculations. He looked at the odds of any man fulfilling even just 48 of the 300 Old Testament prophecies, and the odds jumped to 1 in 10 to the power of 157. And that's only 48 of the 300 that Jesus actually fulfilled. 
Now, even if we question this gentleman's math, there's no question that Jesus is the only man to ever fulfill more than just a couple of these prophecies, never mind all of them. Now, some might argue that not everything from the Old Testament has been fulfilled yet, and that is true. But the story hasn't ended yet either. We still look for that blessed hope and the glorious returning of Jesus when he will complete his mission and he will fulfill all of the prophecy. We have seen enough to know that Jesus truly is the Messiah and that he is not done yet. He will complete what he has set out to do. And that is the promise that we can put our trust in. Nothing doubting, nothing wavering, no fear. Knowing that he will do what he has said. In verse 18 of Matthew 5, Jesus gives us that assurance saying, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus is so absolute in his description here. This is like saying that the law will be gone through like with a fine-tooth comb, making sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed. Not one detail is going to be missed. That's how certain Jesus is that he will complete this mission statement. Speaking of the law, our second point is in regards to Jesus keeping the law perfectly. I was talking to a Catholic priest one time who said that he believed that Jesus sinned. Now, if that was true, we wouldn't have a Savior in Christ because he would have needed to pay for his own sin and would not have been able to pay for anyone else's any more than you or I can. So no, Jesus did not sin. In fact, he points out in verse 20 that your righteousness would have to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. His point, as we'll see in the coming verses, is that it is impossible for us to fulfill the law. Yet he did it for us. The Bible tells us in various places that Jesus did in fact accomplish this goal of living a sinless life. I'm going to give you a few examples. Matthew 27, verse 24. And this is just from a human perspective, looking at Jesus. When he's on trial, Pilate declares, I am innocent of this just person. In other words, Pilate couldn't find anything wrong. Uh, John, verse nine, or John chapter 19 says it this way, where Pilate declares that he could find no fault in Jesus. He couldn't find anything wrong with the man. And that's from a, a human perspective, and I don't think any of us could ever have that said of us when people were looking for something to accuse us of, so... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is a very important verse, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was made sin, even though he knew no sin. He committed no sin himself, but he took our sin on him that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We get Jesus' righteousness in exchange for him taking our sin. What an exchange that is. If Jesus had sinned, that wouldn't be possible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, describes Jesus as our high priest, and it says that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, describe Jesus as a sacrificial lamb without blemish and without spot. If he, was, if he had ever committed a sin, he couldn't be that sacrificial lamb without blemish and without spot. That would have blemished him. That would have put a spot on him. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 says, speaking of Jesus, it says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. It's just an outright statement. Jesus did no sin. And in 1 John 3, verse 5, it says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. It's because of Jesus having no sin of his own that he was able to become the sacrificial lamb that satisfies God's requirement of payment for our sin, once, for all, for everyone. Jesus' mission statement, his purpose in becoming a man, to fulfill the law and the prophets, is what makes it possible for him to become our Savior. There is nothing else that can be done, because as soon as we try to add anything to what Jesus has already done, we're basically just telling God that we don't think that Jesus was good enough. We don't think that Jesus' sacrifice was enough, that it was sufficient. God's not going to be happy if that is our attitude towards him. And so, just looking at Jesus and his life and thinking of realizing that he knew what kind of world he was coming to. He knew how people were going to treat him when he came. And he came anyway to do that for us. What love that shows that God has for us. Anybody who's been listening to me preaching over the last couple of years would have heard most of what I've said this morning at other times, and I hope that you'd never get tired of hearing about Jesus and his worth and his perfection, because that's where our hope lies. And yes, there is more to learn. There is more for us to study. But without Christ as our foundation, everything else becomes worthless before God.
And so I just want to encourage you to look at Christ, look at him and the hope that he gives us, especially as we face um, these difficult days that we're in and these trials that we're facing, um, not knowing what to think, how to act. And so we can look to Christ and the what he came to do for us, how he acted in times of crisis. And he didn't panic. And one additional thing, just as I'm closing here, um, I read a comment this morning that declares or just tells us that instead of worrying about what the Antichrist is doing or what end times things are being fulfilled and trying to educate others of the fulfillment of these things and what's going on that way, our focus should be pointing people to Christ and trying to win them to the kingdom. That's our purpose. That's what God has set out for us. Not to spread the news of the Antichrist or the end times, but to spread the news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And so I just hope that we can go about our week finding ways to do that, to spread the gospel, to show the love of God to our friends and family in our community. I pray that you all have a fantastic week. Bye for now.